question now. I'm already famous. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, I'll be here in the country for a couple of weeks. This afternoon, I fly to um, Ravencrest. I'll be there this week, and then I'll be back next week to teach these students. So, looking forward to that. Um, let me just pray, and then we'll begin. Lord God, we do just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for how strong you are in our lives. And I pray that as we just look to you and open your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, give us the encouragement we need to where we're at, and that you would um, give us the understanding we need to carry on. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to speak this morning from the book of Joshua. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 12, please. And um, maybe, maybe I'll read this. I understand you have a custom of standing when you read the passage, so why don't we do that? <clears throat> Joshua chapter 12, I'll just read the first eight verses. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Arori, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinneroth as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Jeshemoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edri, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over all Bashan, and as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Maacathites, over half of Gilead to the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west, from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak, and the ascent of, and, the, and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions, in the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And we'll stop there. You can be seated. Um, I've learned about that tradition you have to stand because quite often my wife and I watch and tune in to your Sunday morning services. So um, it's quite interesting. Uh, the different customs that different churches have where I've been, everyone has a little bit of a different flavor, but it's, it's all rich. Um, 
There's a couple of reasons I thought I would uh, speak from this passage this morning. Uh, one is the odds are that um, you've probably never heard a sermon on such a boring passage as this one. <laughs> so I might be guaranteed to have your attention. Uh, also, there's a verse that says, all scripture is inspired by God, which would probably include this one. And But mainly, I just... Uh, main reason is just I believe that it is very fitting uh, looking at this. Um, I mean, it's been on my mind because I'm, I'm teaching through the book of Joshua this week at Ravencrest. But also, when I came across this, you know, it's, it's two weeks into the new year. This is the second Sunday of the new year. And by now, people have looked back and reflected on the previous year. At the end of December, you know, TV channels look back and they highlight significant events that have happened in the country as well as globally, things going on. Radio stations count down, play the top 100 songs of the year. And, you know, then around this time, beginning of the new year, people are making their plans, taking steps for certain things they want to change in their life or uh, improve in their lives or would like to achieve in the next year, setting goals. Um, that they want to work towards, that kind of thing. Perhaps even preparations for whatever might be coming down the pipeline this year, which probably looks like an interesting year coming up. Um, Joshua chapter 12 takes place at the end of a specific season in Israel's history. And Joshua seems to be doing the same thing, except maybe counting down those hundred songs. Joshua's not merely writing down history, but he's actually making special notes to reflect on. Uh, he's, he's making an inventory, and that's why I've titled this message, Taking Inventory of Your Inheritance. And so I was thinking, before we get too far into the year, I thought it'd be fitting and wise to also do a personal stock take of our inventory. Something, there's something crucial, I think, that we need to know that we have if we have anything at all. So my question is, what do you find or what do you see when you review or take an inventory, sorry, take an inventory of your past year? More specifically, do you find or do you see the Lord Jesus Christ there? Because life is hard, as we all know. And uh, sometimes our vision of him can be obscured. And I'm sure you're aware that the book of Joshua is the historical account of the people of Israel acquiring the land that God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12. And so to understand and appreciate the message of chapter 12, I would like just to take a few minutes to underscore the significance of, verse, of Joshua 11 verse 23 as we contrast what their life has been up to this point. Joshua 11.23, just looking back a few verses in your, in your Bible there, is, is the summary and conclusion of the conquest they've just had. We read, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now this is an extremely climactic and celebratory verse for two reasons. First, because this is finally the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants more than 400 years earlier. 400 years. 
God gave them the land. He keeps his promises. And secondly, because we need to recognize that the men of Israel have spent the last five years engaged in some pretty serious battles. Life hasn't been easy. Life has been hard for them in this season, especially for a group of men who are not really skilled or experienced to fight in warfare, This is because this is a new generation that was born and raised in the wilderness. So for this new generation, this has arguably been the hardest season of their lives so far, this last five years. And besides the battles, I thought it'd be prudent to remember the additional things that they would have experienced most likely along the way, if you're familiar with the events in Joshua leading up to here. I call them the D words. Deception. Remember chapter 9, the Gibeonites, who claimed they were someone that they weren't? And now they're stuck, they're bound in this covenant relationship with them that they can't get out of. Then they also experienced a bit of God's discipline as a result of Achan's sin in chapter 7. And in that scenario, they suffered loss, uh, humiliation and loss, even loss of life. Displacement, even though they were used to living in the wilderness for 40 years, some families were separated. The Transjordan tribes, it appears that their wives and children stayed back on the east side of the Jordan until the men finished conquering the land. Doubt. There would have been times when they doubted they would even succeed, feeling tired, weak, empty. I mean, you're just walking around the walls of Jericho. Is this really a good idea? Is this really going to work? Discontentment or frustration with how things were going sometimes or with how long the process was taking. Uh, like traveling long distance with your kids 10 minutes down the road. Are we there yet? I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> How much longer? All these things and feelings which can contribute to varying degrees of discouragement and, and depression. They had to keep going forward and receive what God had planned to give them. And in the midst of these circumstances, no matter how hard it was, altogether, this, this was a really tough season for God's people. Really tough. Now, permit me to be so bold as to ask, what about you? Perhaps you're going through one of these hard and difficult seasons. I remember being in this very church a number of years ago, and a man by the name of Ron Lowry was preaching, and he said, you're either coming out of a storm, or you're in a storm, or you're going in a storm. Uh, thanks, Ron. <laughs> but do any of these D words apply to you? Deception. Have you been deceived or betrayed by a close friend or family member recently or this past year? Discipline. Are you living with consequences of some unwise choices? Displacement. Are you feeling displaced because you haven't figured out yet what God's will is for your life or you don't know if you are where you should be? Discredited? Have you been either misunderstood or judged wrongly by someone and your relationship with them has been discredited and damaged? Doubt? Is your life characterized by being a doubting Thomas or a negative Nancy? Discontent. Are you discontent with your current lot in life? You feel that you've been dealt a bad, car a bad hand of cards. 
so to speak. Instead of counting your blessings, you're numbering your negatives. Discouraged. Have you just simply embraced discouragement? There's plenty to make us discouraged. But folks, you're in good company if you're experiencing turbulence. As Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. So just like Joshua is turning their attention off of their discouragement to the victory that he has secured for them, Jesus here turns our attention off our tribulations, what Paul calls our momentary light afflictions, and he shines the light on the victory that he has secured for us. I have overcome the world. So Joshua 11.23 is a significant verse of victory, which gives us much appreciation for the next few chapters, chapter 12 to 19, which is about Israel's inheritance and our inheritance, which we'll be looking at this morning. So picking up in chapter 12 in Israel's inheritance, if you take a glance at chapter 12, you'll notice the first six verses tells us of the kings that they defeated on the east side of the Jordan. And then the next 18 verses list name by name the kings they defeated on the west side of the Jordan. The first six verses are what I call the inventory warehouse number one. This is victory for things that happened to them. The first six verses tell of Israel's defeating those two kings, Sihon and Og, on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And the defeat of these two kings, was le- they, they became legendary. They were the two most powerful kings in the area. And they are referred to in almost a dozen separate occasions in the Old Testament. Rahab also referred to these, uh, to these defeats as um, the two spies were hiding in her home. And she said, when we heard of these things, our hearts sank. And so this, this passage is particularly encouraging because these two events were unplanned. That's what I'm saying. They, they, Israel's won their way to the land of Canaan, and these battles just popped up and happened to them. In both cases, they're just defending themselves, and this is why I find this passage encouraging. Have you ever had unexpected events happen to you when you least expected them to, and you found yourself engaged in a tough situation of some sort? I'm sure we all have. You're not looking for a problem, it just happened. You're just doing your thing, and then bang, the next thing you know, you're in the middle of a mess. And, and here's the thing. Joshua is recording that God was with them in these unplanned events. And Israel ended up with a blessing, additional land he didn't end up planning on conquering. And have you ever looked back on some of those unplanned events, and you look back and you say, God, you were amazing. What I thought was a curse has actually turned out to be a blessing. God is also with us in those unplanned, unscheduled, seemingly unfortunate happenings of life, which have the potential to turn out to be a blessing. Only God can do that kind of thing. Amen? Moving into the next passage, we have a long list of kings they intentionally conquered. This is I call this inventory warehouse number two. This is victory for things that they did. We could really substitute the word check for the word one, after the battles stop and they go through the checklist, they say, did we get this king? Check. This king? Check. This king? Check. Why did Joshua write these seemingly useless details name by name? 
two reasons to highlight God's faithfulness. Without this list, they and we would simply forget what God has done. The dominant theme here is that God has given the land that he promised. He promised the land in Genesis 12, and he kept his promise and delivered the land. And this, is the, and this list is the evidence of his faithfulness, lest they look back at the previous five years and say, where was God when we were struggling in these battles? Here's the evidence. And secondly, to illustrate God's presence. The list is like this visual reminder for them as they look back through the difficult times and they can see that the Lord was there with them. It's almost as if the Lord was saying to them, remember Joshua 1.9? I promised to be with you. Now look right here. I was there with you every day giving you victory over your problems. And he's saying to us, I am with you too in the midst of what you're going, to, going through. I see what's going on. I like the fact that there's 31 kings listed. I can't help but thinking that it, each, each king represents a problem. <laughs> you know, there's one listed for every day of the month. <laughs> you, know, you know, and God seems to be saying here, at least I get this, you know, I'm bigger than each of these kings and I'm bigger than each of your everyday problems. Trust me, that's encouraging. I wonder if we could do the same. What would we find if we were to review and take an inventory of our past year? Would we see the faithfulness of God? Would we see the victory in the unplanned things that happened to us? Would we see and recognize that God was with us? For a chapter as boring as this one, it turns out to be quite challenging and encouraging at the same time. Because it's easy for us to focus on the D words in our lives, isn't it? But can we see the inheritance? What is our inheritance? Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Our inheritance, if you want to flip over to Romans chapter 5, and uh, in Romans 5, I've noticed that, Romans, you've probably noticed it too, it's, it, there's a pile of good news in here. And there's another phrase that keeps popping up here in a few times, and it's the phrase, much more. And it's like Paul can't com contain himself to explain and articulate how far superior our salvation is than we realize. And in, in a feeble effort to reveal a small fraction of our inheritance, I just want to highlight each time that phrase, much more, is used and just make a few comments applicable to us. First one is in verse 9. Um, well, before I get into verse 9, I'll just start in verse 1 for a few minutes. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. 
Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So just in these five verses, I mean, how many things can you list that are going on? You know, we're justified by faith, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can glory in tribulations. God loves us. We have hope that doesn't disappoint. It produces stuff in us. Holy. Wow. That's amazing. And in the contrast of what we might be going through, then we get to verse 9, and Paul says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And this verse is, this is the, the first much more, is laying out the consequence of being justified. We are saved from wrath or God's anger. And why? Because God's wrath has already been satisfied when he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Have you ever doubted God's love for you? We all have. Things go wrong. Sometimes our first response is, God must be angry with me. Or God lets bad things happen to me because I'm not a very good Christian. Or I don't know what I've done, but I just know he has it out for me. <laughs> There's some, some tendencies that we have. And this perspective is very different than what Paul says it should be in verse 3 that we glory in tribulations. That's like James 1 verse 3 where he says, Consider it all joy. When's the last time you gloried in, tri- in a tribulation? Like, seriously. Did Paul just enjoy pain? Or did he, you know, is he always, you know, looking for his next beating? Looking forward to his next shipwreck? Looking forward to his next prison sentence? What, what's this guy on? Or is this, or is, you know, the point is that there's absolutely no way we can even rejoice in our tribulations if we believe they're happening because God is angry with us or he's punishing us for something. And so it's almost like Paul was anticipating the question because he says in, in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, in, in this passage here, we're called four things. We're called helpless, ungodly, sinners, and, and enemies. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So Paul is basically saying that the tribulations we go through is not the wrath of God. If he didn't pour out his wrath on me before I was saved, he's not going to pour out his wrath on me after I'm saved. Makes sense. It's logical. So therefore, this is why Paul can rejoice, because whatever the cause of Bad things happening to us. One thing we know they're not is they're not the result of God trying to get even with me or God trying to punish me or for what I've done. For just He's just doing it for a, He wants to do a work in me, which is to make me more like His Son, like the verse in Ephesians we read. His 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 um, our our inheritance that He's we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. That's the purpose. Much more love. Much more, verse verse 10, much more life in Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The death of Jesus has done it all. He's justified us, he's reconciled us, he's set us right with God, he's forgiven us, 
And if that's all done by Jesus' death, then why does he live? Because he lives to save us. Every day, Jesus lives to save us from sin and from ourselves. From ourselves, because God's using these various things we've, we've gone through and that we're going through and uh, to humble us, to prove his life in us, to prove his life is sufficient. He means it for good. He lives to save us within these difficulties. This is entering into the land of our inheritance. He gives us his saving life, his presence to see us through the trials and the tribulations. There's a quote that, from Oswald Chambers that um, it is pretty, pretty blunt. He says, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in him as the Savior of the world while you blaspheme him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. He is not just the Savior who died for, you, for me 2,000 years ago. He is the Savior who lives today to save me. Wow. Jesus lives to save us. Then we move to verse 15 and 17. Another much more, Romans 5, 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What Christ gives us here is contrast, presented in contrast to what Adam gave us. What did Adam give us? Sin and death. And this is, this is obviously this is the answer to why, there's why, to why there's sin and death in the world. It came from Adam's act of disobedience. And because he is our four, 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 forefather, and we are in Adam when he did it, the consequences of sin and death were, were transferred to us, to every person born. And so that's the great inheritance that we receive from Adam, trapped. But no one has ever been able to overcome sin and death except Jesus. And he had no sin in him. He wasn't a descendant of Adam. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and simply put, he received no inheritance of sin and death from Adam. So this is why Paul is contrasting Adam and Christ. We came from Adam, but we all have the opportunity to change families and, we have, and have our identity based in Christ and not in Adam. So now, verse 15, what, gives, what Christ gives is much more than we receive from Adam. And that's the whole point of this, is the inheritance that we received so this is meant to be a positive statement in our identity of Christ, not a negative statement on what we inherited with Adam, although that's what it is. But Paul is just stating the fact. We can't deny what we've inherited from Adam, but Paul, he's saying, he's comparing the superiority of our inheritance with Christ over our inheritance with Adam, which is so much more. What's the inheritance? Abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness and life, so that we will reign in life and that grace will reign. And, you know, if we're honest in our Christian experience, it, 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 it seems like the sin and death are the much more that we experience most of the time. We tend to identify more with that 
uh, in our fallen humanity because of the experiences that happen. They just feel so real and they just seem so big. And, you know, we think sometimes, how much worse can I get? I'm not making progress. You know, the gravitational pull is too strong. I'm always doing the wrong thing. But Paul is trying to get across to us that much more than your inheritance of sin in this world is the inheritance of grace and righteousness and life that is offered to us in Christ. It far surpasses that. The contrast is as far superior as light is to darkness. And then in verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And this is just, I mean, obviously this is just barely scratching the surface. But there's the inheritance that we have to shine the light on what we have contrasted with what we're experiencing some of the time because we can, our vision can be obscured. Just to, just to bring this to close, maybe we have gone through recently or maybe we still are currently going through some discouraging times uh, as Joshua pointed, to the ch- pointed the children of Israel to the facts of their inheritance for their encouragement so they don't forget the victory has been secured. We too need to be reminded of all that Jesus Christ has secured for us in our salvation. We also need to be reminded of his life in us. He lives to save us so that we can experience himself and live in the inheritance that we have by virtue just of being in him. Amen? So let me ask again, what do you find or what do you see when you review or take an inventory of your past year? Or again, more specifically, do you find or see the Lord Jesus Christ there? Have you taken the time to reflect on that as you start the new year of 2024? Or is the reality of the discouraging D words going on obscuring your vision to your inheritance or obscuring your vision to the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself? Friends, we have a good God Our God is faithful, our God is strong, and our God is living. Greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. Lord God, we just acknowledge that your ways are not our ways. And... I pray for each of us this morning that whatever it is that we're going through and uh, in varying degrees of, of uh, roughness, whatever season that we're in, that we would see you as who you are, stronger, faithful, living, and that we would have the courage to apprehend who you are within our situation, that you would prove to be the victory.
in our lives, in our experience, that we would not be overcome by evil, but we shall overcome evil with good because of who you are in us. Thank you for the treasure and the inheritance that you have given to us, that you have secured in our great salvation, and that you are living in us mightily today, and that we have hope, and that we can be more than overcomers in this world. Pray that as we go through this week, we would be encouraged, that our hearts would be lifted, our spirits would, would, would be lifted, and our, our, our focus would turn up to who you are. And thank you for what you're doing, even though some of it we may not understand at this time. And may we be encouraged and walk in your strength, walk in your power, and walk in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all would stand and join us. You are my strength, for I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name.